0: Well thank you, Dustin and worship team for leading us in such Christ exalting songs. I I do love that song that reminds us that God has never failed, that is he's never not been kind, he's always good. And as Dustin just said, you know, you come to the end of a year, last day in 2023. It's it's a really good time to sit and think about all the kindness God has shown you this year, all the ways that He's been faithful to you this year. I think the enemy obviously wants us to doubt God's goodness, his kindness, and so it's a wonderful spiritual exercise to just recount some of the ways that God has been good to you. Some of the trials he saw you through, when you sit back and think about hardships this year and how God um, saw you through those hardships or is seeing you through those hardships. It's a wonderful way to remind ourselves that God is good and he is gracious. Our message today comes from Romans chapter 12, so I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 891. While you're turning there, let me just say another word of welcome to all of you this morning, especially if you're a visitor, traveling or visiting family, we're glad that you've joined us. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. The title of the message is Genuine Love, Genuine Love. So as I read this passage, be on the lookout for that theme. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you for your word, your unchanging, inerrant, inspired word. Lord, we thank you that though heaven and earth pass away, your words remain, and they will forever. So God, I pray that as we leave a year and enter a new year, that we would anchor our hope in Christ and in your word that we would firmly establish our lives upon the truth of your word, where that's off, Lord, where sin runs deep. I pray that your mercy would enable us to make adjustments, to repent, to turn to you, to follow you. Lord, I pray that, that you would deliver us from ensnaring sins, that you would help us to be honest about areas of our life where we're not quite aligned with your word. Lord, in order for that to happen, we need your Holy Spirit to shine a light in our minds, to enlighten us to the truth of your word. So God, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, enable us to be doers, not merely hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as I say, here we are, the last day of 2023, staring down a new year, staring down maybe a return to work, staring down maybe a return to school. I remember when I was a kid, not looking forward to that. But the truth is, a new year is kind of a mixture of things you look forward to, things you don't look forward to. But that's life, isn't it? Life is a little bit of a roller coaster. It's busy. It's messy, it's turbulent, and maybe you're just trying to make it through the holidays. Maybe, maybe you're nostalgic, kind of thinking about packing up all the Christmas things, which maybe you've done, maybe you haven't. There's a lot of debate about when exactly to do that. But as you pack that stuff up, you can. it's pretty easy to get nostalgic and think about your kids. Think about your life. Think about the people that matter. Think about the people that are gone. But as we enter into a new year, oftentimes we're just kind of in shock. Can it really be already 2024? Where is the time gone? And the older you get, it seems the faster the the the, the time flies, the the faster the water moves under the bridge. Life is busy. Life is busy. Well, in professional soccer, I've, I've noticed something. I've noticed, it's not like football. In football, you have that huddle where you can kind of give direction. But in professional soccer, you know, it's just go, 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 go. But I've noticed something. I've noticed that the coach will send in to the players as they run by the sideline little notes. If you're a keen observer of the sport, you'll notice this. Little notes that the cameraman will show them reading and then they'll stuff the note in their sock or their glove, and these notes are little instructions for a better outcome, little adjustments needed. The game goes on, but in the midst of the busy game, players need to hear from the coach. In our passage today, Paul is writing Christians in Rome who are busy trying to live their lives for Jesus in the midst of all the same kinds of trials and temptations we all face. And in these verses, I don't know if you caught this, he's passing along to them, as it were, these short, pointed instructions. In other words, Paul is saying, life is busy, but little adjustments are needed. And I read these verses, and it strikes me that all of us need these instructions. All of us need to make these little adjustments. Maybe you're here this morning thinking, no, I need to make big adjustments. Maybe that's true. Life doesn't slow down, but we need to take time to read the notes, hear from God, take them to heart, and by God's grace, put them into practice. So in chapter 12 of Romans, I would encourage you, if you're able, to keep your Bible or your Bible app open, Romans chapter 12 starts in verse 1 with Paul encouraging the believers, imploring them by the mercies of God to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So Paul, at the beginning of this chapter, says that the essence of spiritual worship is presenting yourself, all of yourself, to God in obedient worship. And then in verses 3-8 through 8 of chapter 12, Paul says, In order to do this, it takes two things. It takes grace and humility. If you want to engage in whole self, wholehearted, worshipful obedience you will need grace, and you will need humility. None of us are doing this perfectly, we can just admit. This call to whole life worshipful obedience is an adjustment needed moment for all of us. Because all of us struggle with sin in various areas. Our speech, our anger, our pride, our greed, our covetousness, if I were to ask you to take out a piece of paper and say, what are the sins you struggle with? No one who's really a Christian would have a hard time writing something down. Because we're sinners. Sin runs deep. So a good place to start this morning in your pursuit of whole self, worshipful obedience, presenting your life as a living sacrifice, as Paul says, in pursuit of that grace and humility is to ask God for that. Usually it's the end of the sermon when you get the application. But here it's sort of at the beginning. As you endeavor to live your life worshipfully, Paul says you need to ask God for grace and for humility. Years ago there was a running program called Couch to 5K. I don't know if you remember this. Maybe we have some aspiring runners in the the congregation this morning, but couch to 5K was intended to take someone from, as the name suggests, the couch to running, to running a 5K, which is quite an accomplishment. Well, Paul is saying if spiritually you're on the couch this morning, what you need to get running spiritually towards obedient worship is grace and humility. You can't offer yourself as a spiritual living sacrifice on your own merit or your own strength. You need grace. And you can't make adjustments in life without the humility to see the areas where you need to change. The sin issues. You need to call them what they are. No excuses. So in our passage, our passage, starting in verse 9, Paul is handing over the notes, the instructions, the adjustments, and he starts in verse 9 saying that in order to engage in worshipful, whole self-obedience, you're going to need genuine love. The adjustment that we all need is to let our love be genuine. Now, when Paul says, let your love be genuine, what's the assumption? The assumption is that not all love is genuine. The word genuine means without hypocrisy, without without guile. Genuine love is sincere love. It's genuine. There's plenty in our world of insincere love, hypocritical love. Usury love, the kind of love where people will tell you what they want to get what they want. If we're honest, that's not just a problem in the world, it's a problem in us. Insincere love is a problem in us. It's a problem in our marriages. It's a problem in our homes. Well, here's how it works. We say to someone, I love you, but then we hurt them with our words. We say to someone, I love you, but then we fail to serve them with our actions. We say to someone, I love you, but then we hold them to a higher standard that we want to be held, or we dish out consequences that we ourselves have been spared. So Paul says, in life, it's busy, little adjustments are needed, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere if you want to live a life of whole person worshipful obedience. So this is real stuff. Paul says love must be genuine, it must be gracious, it must be humble, and it must be holy. Look at verse 9. Paul says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, hate what is evil, cling to to what is good? Loving God and loving others requires us to turn from sin and pursue holiness. You cannot say you love God or that you love your spouse or that you love your kids and wallow in sin or give sin a free pass. Genuine love, Paul is saying requires the pursuit of holiness. So this is really encouraging for us as parents, as spouses, as friends, as family members, as church members. The best way for us to love each other is to be turning from sin and pursuing holiness. True love is always simultaneously an affection for the other person and a pursuit of holiness. Look at verse 10. You see the affection right there. Love one another with brotherly affection. Up in verses 4 and 5, Paul describes the intimacy of the body of Christ, which is the church, it's believers. And he likens believers to a body, the church to a body, And here in our passage, he uses a different analogy. He uses the analogy of family, but the point is clear. God wants us to have affection for each other like you do in a family. Now let's think about that analogy. Having affection for family members, as we've all recently spent time with family members this week, does not mean you always see eye to eye. It doesn't always mean that you get along but you are bound by something as a family. And Paul is saying, as Christians, we're bound by something stronger than human blood. Well, what possibly could be stronger than human blood? Paul says what binds us, what fuels our affection for each other, is the very blood of Jesus. So we show affection to each other. How do we do that? Look at verse 10. We show affection to each other by honoring one another. By honoring one another. Outdo each other in showing honor, Paul says. See who can honor each other more. So at Calvary, we want to be in a constant ongoing competition. Who can outdo the other in honor? We want to honor each other. This is important. Because in the world, you don't get much honor. As Rodney Dangerfield used to say, I don't get no respect. But in the church, Paul says, we should show each other honor. We should outdo each other in honor. Doesn't that sound wonderful? People who aren't trying to one-up each other by tearing each other down. You know, in the world, people are always trying to see who's better at tearing each other down. Or it's always trying to one-up the other person. Where'd you go for the holidays? I went to Tahoe. Where'd you go? Well, I went to Paris. Oh, okay, you win. And Paul is saying in the church, it's not that way. We're trying to one-up each other by outdoing each other in showing each other honor. That's the adjustment that God wants of us. That's the instruction we need. Honor each other. So, in the family of believers here in a church, we're looking for ways to honor each other, to encourage each other, to build each other up. Now Paul says what's needed to achieve this genuine love, this honoring, is in verse 11. He says it's fervency. If you look at verse 11, it says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent In spirit, don't be lazy spiritually, be fervent spiritually. This is a word we don't use very often. To be fervent in Greek means to be hot, it means to boil actually. You remember in Revelation 3, God rebukes a church and says, You better be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. I always think of that in the King James Version, be ye not lukewarm. God says, be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm. And in Romans, Paul is saying to the church, if you want to present your life as a spiritual sacrifice, as a spiritual act of ongoing worship, you need to be boiling with affection for Christ. Boiling with affection. And you might be here this morning going, That's not where I'm at. Well, this is another wonderful prayer for the new year. You say, Lord, increase my fervency, increase my affection, increase my passion for you. Help me not to be lazy in my zeal. Help me to be fervent in my zeal. Now, humans are pretty good at excuses. I think we could all agree on that. We are pretty good at excuses. And you can almost imagine that as Paul writes this, these words, he's kind of expecting the people he's writing to to have a response and say, Paul, you have no idea how hard my life is. You have no idea how bad my situation is. No idea how grim my life is. No idea how rough life has been on me. And we do that as Christians to carve out excuses to not be obedient to God's word. But Paul anticipates those excuses because look what he says right away in verse 12. He says, you need to rejoice in hope. You need to rejoice in hope. So Paul says, fix your hope on the glorious future of Christ's kingdom and his coming. Now in doing that, what he's saying is essentially this. Don't fix your eyes or your hope or your attention on your present hardships, but see through them with biblical hope. Well, the gospel gives us biblical hope. Well, like what? Like this. Christ has defeated sin and death. Christ is preparing for you a kingdom. So Paul says, rejoice in hope. And then he says, be patient in tribulation be patient in tribulation in other words if someone says well I can't do that Paul because my life is hard Paul says yeah but you've got hope and then if they say well yeah but I'm going through hardships he says be patient in your tribulation life is an ongoing tribulation tribulation means anything that brings distress anything that brings hardship or distress So think about this for a moment. When a lifeguard sees a person waving their hands in the surf, they know that the person is in distress. I don't know if you saw on the news this week, there's been some big waves. And we watched on YouTube last night some of those waves in San Diego. They were quite big. And my wife made the comment, she said, where are the lifeguards? (laughs) But if you're in the water and you're in distress, you wave your hands when you've lost the strength to swim. And Paul is saying life is like that. Life is filled with moments of distress where you don't feel like you have the strength to go on. Paul says when you feel like that, be patient. If you feel like you're distressed, like you're out of energy, like you can't go on, Paul doesn't have any magic words that are going to change your circumstance. Neither do I. Nope, neither does anybody. Paul says, just be patient. What is he saying? Be patient. Your hardships will come to an end. Life won't always be this way. We are moving towards a glorious future in Christ, an eternal kingdom, an end to sin and suffering. So Paul says, be patient. Patiently endure distress. And in order to patiently endure distress, Paul says you're going to need prayer, ceaseless prayer. So Paul reminds us to pray, to pray. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So in the new year, you will endure distress. And when you endure distress, where is your focus? Is it on the circumstance or is it on the glorious reality of Christ behind the circumstance? Is it something that you demand God takes away immediately or are you patient in your distress? What can I do when I'm in distress? Paul says, well, maybe not much, but you can pray, pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. And these things go together. The more we pray, the more patiently we endure. The more hopeful we are, the more we rejoice. So see these things as a chain of adjustments that are needed in life. We pray, we endure, we hope, we rejoice. Let love be genuine, without hypocrisy. So in verses 9 through 13, the word is love. But then in verses 14 through 21, the word is bless. You could summarize the adjustments Paul wants for the church in Rome. Paul wants for us here in Calvary. Paul says love and bless. Love and bless. That sounds good, right? Sounds good. Love and bless. I like that. I like blessing. However, there's a twist Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And by cursing, he doesn't just mean cuss words, although that's probably covered too. By bless and not curse, Paul means extend to others what you want extended to you. What do you want extended to you? Probably truth, forgiveness, compassion, empathy, grace. Who doesn't want that? Paul says, what you want, extend to others. In verse 15, if you look at verse 15, Paul says, blessing others means acting according to the need of the moment. The need of the moment. He says, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Associate with the lowly. Haughtiness means thinking that you're big stuff. And, and, and Paul says, don't, don't be that way, don't be haughty, be, 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 be in harmony with others. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What does that mean? It means life isn't about you. Life isn't about you. And the, the more you think life is about you, the more miserable you're going to be. There are days when you feel like rejoicing. But the person God puts in front of you is weeping. It's not about you. Weep with them. And there are days you feel like weeping, but it's not about you, Paul says. So if you're in front of someone who's rejoicing, rejoice with them. So Paul's saying put others first. You might not feel like it, but put them first if you want to live a life of worshipful obedience. Don't be puffed up. Don't be haughty. Haughtiness is the enemy of harmony. The more you think you're too good for the other person, the less harmony you're going to have. So Paul says, remember, what are you? You're a sinner saved by grace. You're a child of God, but God rescued you out of darkness. He brought you alive when you were dead. He loved you before you ever loved him. Paul says, that's how you should treat other people. In saying associate with the lowly, Paul is saying be like Christ. Die to yourself. Live to serve. No one beneath you. The Bible says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul's saying here's the note. Here's the adjustment needed. Follow Jesus. Don't be proud. You're not above anybody else. And then look at verses 17 through 21. Paul answers a really important question, a critical question. So you can imagine the people in Rome, and I don't know how much you know about ancient Rome, but it it was a pretty evil society. A lot of evil stuff was going on, just like our own evil society with lots of evil stuff going on. And so Paul is handing out these notes. These are the adjustments. The change is needed for a positive outcome. And Paul can anticipate a question. Paul, how do we overcome evil? How do we overcome evil? Okay, so we love and we serve and we're humble and we live our lives obediently. But Paul, there's all this evil in the world. How do we overcome all that evil? And Paul answers the question. He says, not with vengeance. Not with vengeance, God will repay. Not with tit-for-tat, eye-for-eye thinking. Try to live at peace, Paul says, as much as it depends on you. Now sometimes, obviously, others simply refuse to live at peace with you, which is why Paul says, as much as it depends on you, you can't control others. But the Bible calls you to control yourself. So we don't overcome evil by vengeance. We don't overcome evil by repaying evil. We don't overcome evil by sticking it to the other guy when they stick it to us. So how do we overcome evil? When you start to feel discouraged by all the evil in the world, how do you overcome it? Well, it's right there in verse 21. Overcome evil with good. Our job is not to stamp out evil. Jesus will do that. Vengeance belongs to God. Jesus will repay. Jesus will judge. Jesus will one day bring an end to evil and judge every thought and intention of all of those who have refused his forgiveness. Our weapon, Paul says, is righteousness. Our weapon is holiness. Our weapon is honor. It is blessing. It is love. Paul says we can do this because Jesus is the one who has vengeance. He's the one who will bring wrath. And then notice in verse 20 there's this really kind of curious reference to burning coals. Paul says to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. That sounds painful, heaping burning coals on someone's head. Thought this was about love and blessing. How does that fit? Well, Paul is referencing a chapter in Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. Paul's quoting scripture. And in the Bible, when you think about coals, I mean, when you think about coals, if you go to a campfire and you... I don't know if you had a fire this week, maybe in the fireplace. If, if you if the embers start to die, what do you do? You blow the coals, and the coals ignite, and you have fire. And in the Bible, fire coals associate with God's judgment. They associate with God's wrath. They associate with God's judgment. And so Paul is saying, your job is to love. Let God handle judgment. Let him handle conviction. The point of God's judgment is restorative. What we want is for someone to feel the shame of their sin in the face of our kindness and repent and turn to God. It's We don't want to be kind to someone so they, so they feel just judged and they feel wrath. We want someone to see in the contrast between their sin and our goodness, conviction. And then turn to Jesus and find forgiveness. Paul says we overcome evil with good. We overcome evil with good. Now it's important that we understand Paul is speaking to the church. I mean, he's not saying we don't, we don't need police officers or the military. No, he's speaking to the church. We in a society, we need police officers with badges and guns. We need a military with planes and missiles, and we need prisons with bars and guard towers. Paul's not arguing for pacifism. Society needs these things. But Paul's saying in society, the job of the church is to deal with evil by living our lives in obedience to Christ, presenting ourselves to Jesus as a living sacrifice, pursuing holiness, and worship. Christians wage spiritual war through worship. That's what Paul's saying. If you want to stand against the darkness, commit your life to Christ. If you want to show love to others, pursue holiness. Don't think of worship as what we do on the stage during the three songs before the sermon. It's all worship. Our whole life is worship. Paul says, present your life, your whole life, as an act of worship to the Lord. And so our application is to not only read these notes and pay attention to what Paul is saying, but to put them into practice. And this leads us to the prayer. So as we think about the coming year and the convictions that God brings upon our life, the ways that we fall short... Our prayer is that God would help us to love, help us to bless. And in order to do this, we have to be confident in God. We have to be confident that God has got things in control. We have to be confident that God will judge. We have to be confident that we don't have to wrestle the world under our control because Christ has things under his control. Who defeats evil? God does. Who deals with evil? God does. Who is bringing his kingdom? God is. Who delivers us from evil? God does. What's our job? To live our lives in obedience to Christ. To look to engage others with genuine love and sincere blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer as we enter a new year that you'd fill us with genuine love God, that you would fill us with the ability to treat others as graciously, as kindly, as patiently, as mercifully as you've treated us. And Lord, as we engage each other, that we would do so with honor and blessing. Lord, I pray that you'd enable us to take our list of wrongs, and to tear it up, throw it away. Lord, I pray that we would not treat each other according to how we think they should be treated, but that we would treat each other according to how we've been treated by you. Lord, we ask that you would enable us to trust that you have enough wrath stored up for every evil deed. So, Lord, free us from having to go around showing wrath so that we can bless, we can build up, we can encourage, and show others what it looks like to live out worshipful obedience. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to not only hear this, but to put it into practice. I pray, Father, that you would bring this gospel living, this gospel thinking, this gospel relationship into our homes. Lord, you don't mean for this to just be a message. You mean for it to be a lifestyle. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would enable us to live in ways we never thought possible, even if we've never seen this actually put into practice. I pray that you'd enable us to put it into practice. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.